it's interesting to think about when humans say oh the jobs are going to go to the robots but like is that the kind of job that you want to be doing correct if somebody could replace a part of my job please replace it because <laughs> if it's replaceable then it's okay it's just replace it hi i'm devya hi i'm karen and this is thinking on thinking So the notion that that um Seth Godin talks about took me a second. I was like, wait, who was it? <laughs> um, is that there and he uses Mechanical Turk as an example, which is an Amazon service that lets you break up work, yeah. break up work into really small segments, right? And then people can go out and, and do that work for for your company or whatever project, you know, that's that's outsourcing the work. And the thing he's talking about is how some jobs are going in that way that would take like, you know, maybe if you're doing a translation you would need a highly skilled translator to be able to translate a document um or he, you know using the example of like wikipedia right like you needed like all these researchers full t- like i think uh, encyclopedia britannica had like 120 full-time staff and it like is something like billions of dollars of man hours went into creating this encyclopedia and then wikipedia managed to carve the work into small chunks that then people could just do so now you could disperse it out and you know millions mm. of people could do small amounts of it similarly with mechanical turk right you can get something translated you're paying by the minute or maybe by the word or something right but you're being able to do something that was previously only available to i'm sorry that type of work previously only went to people who were highly skilled so i was thinking about it in other contexts mm. like if you thought about uber and like taxi driving at the system level then you have um mm. transport as a service was previously something that was kind of done by a regulated a highly regulated environment right like taxis are highly regulated and and that was because mm. they were trying to make sure that people were were safe right i think i mean we're I'm speculating a little bit yeah. here right but now we're able yeah. to deliver that with technology that allows for people to kind of be safe um and uh whatever solves the kind of like like uh, needs that were leading to that that regulated environment um but similarly you're able to kind of break up the the problem of having a system wide transportation solution into small discrete chunks that then can be done by a lot of different people so now with like an uber sort of mm. service like people can individual people can so- can help solve the kind of transportation service of, at a city level So as I was thinking about that then I was just trying to think about like what are the other things what are the other waves that uh, or, or other industries that this wave will now come into So I have actually some ideas around that Please So um like a couple of weeks back a couple, maybe last month or so I got the invite to Dali to which is the ai generating uh, ai image generating yeah, yeah, software I right? like you tell it that uh, you tell it that a, a man dressed as an avocado at a football game and it will give you four images of exactly that and you could tell it oh 50 mm lens close up shot background blah 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 and it will like exactly make that thing it's really quite incredible and now because of that so of course the art market was slightly under disruption because of nfts for whatever they are worth it was already under consideration of okay where is the future of art and where is the future of visual stuff going and now because of ai generated art and how interesting it is like there is this almost surrealist quality to almost all of it yeah right um if you see that or um 
there is another software i don't remember what it's called like that's also another one of um wait let me just check the name well i got served ads this morning for something called jasper that apparently will write your marketing copy for you i, I was oh, wow. i was getting ads on instagram for it <laughs> yeah the gpt3 is that I what think it's so. called yeah yeah I that, think so. right like that uh, that has been um I, yesterday i was talking to like i had a call with somebody who is doing who is working with like uh, smbs for their local seos uh like and stuff and they were talking about how a lot of companies like especially the marketing companies who do uh national or global level seo now they will use gpt3 to generate content for website blogs wow and it, it, it's so interesting right like you don't have to pay anyone you can just use that like an ai to generate this thing i had another friend who was uh who like this couple they were developing a software which could do uh text to voice very very well yeah and so well that you could give it a script and you could give it the intonation and all of those things that you want and it would convert it so you could have podcast episode even if you didn't want your own voice like you could wow. choose the accent and you could choose the <laughs> gender and the age and like you know all of these specifications and it's so interesting yeah stable diffusion is the other oh, yes. software that i was talking about i was reading about right? it a couple of days ago and it's very interesting like how all of these softwares are coming up uh, especially as it almost to me feels like there was a point of time um, in the last decade where everybody was like google maps sucks and then it transitioned into google maps is the only way people transport around the city yeah. like they do not know how else to get around right yeah and like it's such a it was such a natural transition you don't even realize when you stopped like looking at actual physical maps or like i remember when i when we had first moved to delhi in like 2009 and my mom and dad used to have like a physical map when they were roaming around in the city right like my mom would be telling my dad which road to take and which turn to take and all of that because she had a actual map of the location yeah and now you you can't even imagine that like i don't know if there would be anyone who would have purchased a map of bangalore in the last 5 years because a map of bangalore exists on your phone Yeah. And I think to me it's also interesting that now the next wave of that has started like like for example my dad hmm. was driving his boat um last week and my mom and I were talking about how when when he started driving a boat like 10 years ago we had, there was always charts right and the charts were a big thing of it because you had to understand the tides and you had to understand um basically the you need to understand the tides and then how it might affect you know where you could anchor and what uh the 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 hmm. level of the water um it's just it's all on the gps right like like there's a, and it's a really nice system it has two screens that you can look at two different parts like you can zoom in on one and have zoomed out on the other it's yeah. great right and then similarly i was watching apple's uh product announcement yesterday and and i noticed that with their new apple watch they're really going after some of the more extreme uh use cases so the new apple watch can be a dive computer and they partnered with this diving company to build a dive computer app um and it's just it's interesting to me now how we're starting to see these wow. kind of mainstream technologies really go after the really uh mm. really specific use cases that used to be tackled by really only specialized equipment and now it's like oh well yeah. 
why not, right? Like you can just, if you can do it, like why, why not be able to go after and show that this this tool can also be used for this market? It's really interesting. I was telling Gaurav because I'm like, yeah, I don't like that I have a dive computer, right? Like I use it twice a year. A dive computer is just a fancy name. For, you know, it's a dive watch, right? Like they just call them dive computers or something. Okay. And it, it, the main thing it does is like when you're scuba diving, it tells you um, what depth you went to and then based on what depth, how long you need to spend at, at lower depths to help um, reduce the nitrogen in your in your system before you come up. The danger is that you, if you come up too fast, okay. the nitrogen correct, can... Correct. Right. And it's like, well, it's <laughs> again, it was something that like when I learned to scuba dive in like 2000, I learned how to do it on paper and how you would calculate like, oh, yes, if I go to this level, I need to wait at this level for five minutes before I come to the surface. Um, and then, you know, then you get to the point where you use a dive computer. But now it's like, well, I could just have my Apple watch. Why should I spend $250 on this kind of specialized piece of equipment? Um yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's... In, I, to me, it feels like it's a similar technology wave or it's part of the same technology wave. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a definitely... It's, it's a different side of it than the kind of like labor replacement side. Yeah, but like it, it to me, it's almost like... I think the place where I was coming from was more... If we look at this GPS or the um, dive computer use case that you're talking about, right? Like in front of our eyes... Like we are living through a revolution yeah. almost. Like world is changing and we can't, I can't really pinpoint the day when I like, you know, switched to Google Maps as my source of truth about traveling in a city. But that is the case right now. And when I look at um, GPT-3 or when I look at AI generated art, that's what I feel. I just feel like, oh, you won't need somebody to generate actual artworks for you because this is how you can instantly generate artworks. Like you don't need an illustrator. And if it, this is where they are today, where they would be in five years, we know that like AI grows exponentially. Yeah. No, I was hanging out with some of my, my, my dad's friends who work at Microsoft last week and it was just really interesting. So, you know, there's a tool called Copilot. Have you come across this? And it writes code for mm -hmm. you when you're, it's, it's basically a pair programmer that's an oh. AI. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My sister was telling me about this and she was like, it is insanely amazing. <laughs> At least that I heard, I haven't seen it myself, but it's both like, it will do syntax for you if it's a new programming language, but you can also comment yeah. like, I need a function for this and it will go yep. <laughs> write a and function. And it will write. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that. Yeah. My sister was telling me about how, like, I think in a Unity program that she wrote, she used it. And it was very interesting. She just, like, she told it to do something. And it just wrote a piece of code that did exactly that thing. And it's insane how awesome that is. So apparently on GitHub projects where Copilot is being used, it's writing 40% of the code on average. This is what we were hearing last week. <laughs> yeah. And then my dad's friend was also talking about how you could, because um, his, his daughter's very into manga, uh, and she was like, you know, I really want to write one someday, but I don't think I could do the drawing. And it's like, well, this is a different world, right? Like now if you can write it, like something yeah. could generate the art for you, which is just an interesting, they're interesting use cases. It kind of expands, it reduces the kind of technical barrier to do something, um, which I think is interesting. I think we'll see more waves of like, innovation maybe even of, of kinds of art or people who feel enabled to be artists because they don't have the kind of barriers yeah. i also like there's so much interesting stuff within this to talk about because like one could think about all of all of the cultural implications of come on that somebody would say commoditizing it but making it more accessible is also a fair way of saying it right like i mean 
did instagram commoditize photography sure but like actually good photographers didn't become like professional photographers didn't become worse because of instagram i would say that the like the average person became a better photographer because they started taking so many photos and they started improving yeah like people 20 years ago probably wouldn't be so good at photography i definitely think i mean i wouldn't say it's so much well i'd be interested in your thoughts but i wouldn't say it's so much the 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 um output which i guess is what i would call instagram and more the hmm. evolution in the input tools right just the cameras have gotten better and the software to support the cameras has gotten better so now like people you don't have to understand bokeh to be able to take like a cool you know i think what is the term depth effect right like <laughs> right and yeah. like uh and there's all these people who never would have like my brother-in-law like takes amazing photos with his iPhone um and he just would have never put in the time to kind of like like learn about photography in that way but now he doesn't have to right he just knows how to do a few of the things on his phone and he can focus more on like mm. framing and he and I think absolutely right you he's become much better at framing because of of I guess you're right Instagram right because you start to see um so much uh of photos in a certain style that's kind of interesting i wonder if that also pushes styles towards a certain kind of like place Inter- so this is i promise this is related okay <laughs> um so do you know how like when they do studies of how kids learn the more a kid's parent speaks to them like the more words a kid's parent speaks to them the more faster the child learns the language and the better the child gets at the language Interesting. I know Did you know this? A little bit of like the related so my one of my best friends teaches kindergarten and so one of the predictors for her for success is how many chil- how many words children know coming into kindergarten, hmm. right? And so like one of the big things she hmm. does is try to get them, you know, to first grade like ha- just having expanded their because those are those are the good predictors for for future success. Hmm. Um which I think is similar to what you're like a similar body of research to what you're talking about. it is similar but not exactly so this is more uh, i think this was done more for like the class differences between different people but basically generally you'll find that like um people who are economically at a lower level they generally would have single parent that parent is probably working three jobs probably not talking so much to the child so the child starts off on a back foot almost because the parent has not spoken so much to it on the other hand when a child has a lot of people speaking to them they just pick up the language so much faster interesting right and cuz i guess you also and, have more variation you get to see more people mm-hmm. speaking the same words in different ways yeah because like ultimately it is a neural network yeah. trying to learn and make sense of things right so similar to th- i think that like that is how all human brain learn right like everything that a human brain is trying to learn they learn it in that particular way which means that if you are shown a lot of quote and quote good images and you are given easy access to tools to take those images and you can see what you are taking and compare it to the stuff it becomes a lot easier and that's why i said instagram made it a lot easier it's not just the cameras it's not just the fact that iphone had like you know really good camera and like nowadays the phones have amazing cameras it's also that people see photos and they know okay this is what good photography looks like yeah that's interesting because if i think about like the facebook era of like the late 2000s 
it was a lot more crazy photos, right? Like people would like, hmm. you know, it'd be like, they'd be like doing crazy pictures or like they would be like throwing like, you know, it wasn't as much just beautiful photos. And I think part of that is no, like yeah. Instagram knows what I like. So I get to see a lot more beautiful photos. Um, but I do think you're yeah. also, what you're saying is true, right? Because it gave people more of a place for feedback, for seeing similar photos, for seeing like, this is the way that you could have taken it. And then you start to, yeah, you just start to learn hmm. and think. You start to have a vocabulary for what this thing could be, yeah. should be. When we started this conversation, I was kind of wondering about like, you know, is it semi-skilled work that's going to be replaced by by this kind of like wave of automation? And now like this, as we've been talking, it's like, it feels more like it's almost like there's potential for new kinds of art or at least like reducing technical burden to to art. I don't know. Do you... So I, I think that the uh, metaphor that comes closest to my mind is... Maybe like 40 years ago, if you wanted to play music, you had to actually learn how to play an instrument. If you couldn't play a guitar, you could not make music. You could not play music. But if you today own an iPad or an iPhone, you have GarageBand. If you own a computer, you can find some free software that will let you, quote-unquote, make music. There's no equivalent though in music yet right of these kind of ai soft generation softwares that we've been talking about that exist for imagery and uh sort of i don't know how much um i think in so there is this thing called meta sounds that unreal has released okay. with their newest version i don't know if it is procedural generation or if it is ai generation i'm not sure which one it is um, what is the difference? But music is also happening. What's the difference between those? It's so things? AI. Mm, go ahead. AI is like um, you just give. Generally, AI generation is like you just give it a bunch of keywords and it will make something. Procedural is you'll tell it the rules that it has to follow. Oh, I see. I see. So one would be like make something like Beethoven, uh, but rap. Uh, Right, and mm. then it would figure something yeah. out, and then the other would be like, I need something in this certain key, like with this, like I don't know, cadence. Yeah. Right? Okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, or even like more detail, where like, okay, this is what the drum beat should be like. It should have this many instruments and stuff like that. Um, I I'm sure that like people are doing it for music as well. Is there is no reason why you couldn't do it? Because there's music. so much data in the public domain. I was thinking, right? Like, there's so many songs that are. Yeah out there interesting and also like there is just so much possibility as well yeah right so one of the interesting debates that has been happening has been what makes ai art special separate from regular art right like if i draw something versus i ask the ai to make something what's the difference um like Recently, one of my friends, uh, she decided to publish a book of poetry and she just went on uh, Dali because she had an invite and she chose a cover from there. Like she, you know, gave it a bunch of keywords and she decided to pick a cover from there instead of asking someone to make it, right? Um, so I've just been thinking about like, how do you distinguish if somebody else had like drawn it for her? Well, What's the line? I'm right in remembering, right, that most of the, the historical <laughs> artists, they worked with people. 
They do. Right? So it's not like... Yeah. Yeah. Like they always had someone who actually was executing the painting for them. Or even like I know there's, yeah. there's a very famous glassmaker um, out of Seattle uh, named Chihuly, Dale Chihuly. And like I, I met some people who work in his studio and they're like, he's, I mean, he's older. He's like, I think he's blind in one or both eyes. Right? It's like he can't be doing that much glasswork anymore. <laughs> and so a lot of the stuff that's yeah. coming out of his studio is, is being made by his, his um, assistants. But, you know, everyone still calls mm. it Chihuly art. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's like Sistine Chapel was not actually hand-painted by Michelangelo. Yeah. So, I don't know. To me, that feels like it's just a set of tools, you know? It's not necessarily... Hmm. Um, I'm sure there was, like, in other eras where people are like, no, I, I don't know what came first. If it was, like, te- oil... and It probably was, like, like, oil, acrylic, and then tempura, right? We kind of, like... And I'm sure that there were similar sort of reactions where people were like, oh, how could you paint with tempura? Only real painting is oil painting. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine. So I would also think that like, this might not be true, but this has been my observation that the appetite for entertainment has increased over the last few years. Like there are a lot more careers for entertainers. I think it's a reaction to what we were actually talking about a few weeks ago, but that there's not a good that getting into a flow state in your relaxation time is is um takes work and we are as a society we've created so many things that don't uh, don't easily let you go into a flow state during a relaxation time or let me let me say that a little differently we've there's lots of um things that you you that are slightly satisfying (laughs) and then you Hmm. don't end up going into find things that are more deeply satisfying because you're being slightly satisfied enough um Interesting, right, right, right. So I wonder if that's creating more of this deeper demand where it's like people feel like this unfulfilled and now you're willing to go and spend things on because you're not being, I'm not satisfied by spending, you know, 25 minutes on Instagram every day. So, but I I still have that need of like, I wanted something to entertain me. I wanted to see stuff that is visually exciting. And now I'm like going out Mm. and like filling it with something else. Like you keep eating like amuse-bouges or little appetizers and then you're like, damn it, at some point I need a meal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a very interesting way to put it. I was thinking that like, it's just overall our demand, demand from our time has increased so much that we often are doing more than one thing. Like, you know, I'm driving, but I'm also like listening to audiobooks or I'm listening to podcasts or I'm like, you know, doing my chores and then I'm doing listening to podcasts or I would often be drawing and watching a YouTube video on the side or something like that. Right? Like, my attention is divided. So which means that even if I'm doing, let's say, eight hours of work, I am simultaneously also overlapping five hours of entertainment with that same time. That's interesting. Because I wonder about... So if you compared to a, a much earlier time, right? Like if you know we were in a time where like you were uh, still looking for securing your like shelter or something right then it would Hmm. be much more encompassing to be like oh you know i need to figure out where i'm going to sleep tonight right like you know there's not as much time for or there's not as much brain space um for non-essential activities um or maybe there is like i don't i don't uh, i mean that's a separate point i don't know how i feel about assigning um intent that's very fair to how 
like foraging societies live. Yeah, that's very fair. Fine. So maybe this was a, a bad example to go down. But the point I was I was trying to get at with the example was that I wonder about how much it's that that you're being able to use the, um, like the system one versus system two part of your brain, right? So you're being able to kind of mm-hmm. do it almost on autopilot these things because of you you've done them before. You've done you've watched YouTube mm. before, right? Like it's not going to be so startling to you. For example, like hmm. normally when I'm talking to you and when we, you know, when we have our calls and stuff, I might do something else at the same time, <laughs> right? Where like just because hmm. I'll have a, had a thought or I'll have seen something, and so I'm like, yes, I'm we're still talking, but I'll be doing something at the same time. But when I'm recording a podcast with you, it's not something super familiar with me, so it requires a lot more of my attention. I have to like, you know, am I speaking at a like staying close to the microphone? Am I speaking at a reasonably level volume? And so like more of those hmm. kind of like there's more processes involved in in doing something new. Because it's novel, whereas I think a lot of the things are not mm. novel anymore, right? Because we effectively do the same twenty-five things, you know, over the course of a week. Interesting. This is also making me think that, like, as some of these jobs get democratized, yeah, not necessarily replaced, because I don't know if the demand is outpacing the supply or not. Like, it could very well. Like, Instagrammer wasn't a job ten years ago. YouTubers wasn't a job 10 YouTuber wasn't a job 10 years ago Twitch like celebrity wasn't a job 10 years ago like well but I think most all of those were jobs just the path to becoming uh, successful in that career was not something so democratized right it wasn't Instagram or no but no but like people still do make shows I think that more movies and more shows come out even on a Hollywood level these days like that market has also increased but all of the tech entertainment is completely a brand new market I th- right like it's not like conventional tv has gone away yeah i mean if, if you look at the, the like ratings for tv shows you know nobody watches the way they used to right like i think gray's anatomy it's second season or something i remember looking this up uh it was i think 30 million people watched like the prime time. And that was a time when the United States population was like 350 million, right? It was like 10% of the country was watching. Wow. <laughs> and now it's like 2 million is like a prime time, like success. Hmm. That is a very interesting point. There's just more options, you know? It was... hmm. Okay. Huh. I'll take your point. That is fair. I was just thinking more from the perspective of there are more shows being made, there are more movies being released, and there are all of these other people. And everybody is spending much more time on entertainment than they used to before. Yeah. So maybe the supply, like, despite the fact, or maybe because of the fact that it's more democratized, there is more supply and there is more demand. Interesting. I'm also wondering a little bit, like, and I'll, I'll draw a few blatant generalizations about history here, <laughs> but I think, um, like, the printing press probably, or the printing press obviously made distribution of longer form things easier, right? And I imagine things like autocorrect hmm. and, like, all these little tools, uh, editing tools, just made it easier for you to write longer form things. You didn't have to focus as much on the individual words, individual sentences, So I wonder if these kind of supporting technologies we were talking about for generating, uh, you know, copy or for generating images will start to see more um, 
composite uh, uh, creations or just like like elaborate creations. And I wonder if that will start, if we'll start to see that into the entertainment side as well. Because I don't think we'll get to a mm. point that will be AI generated TV shows really fast, right? But we might have more AI generated pieces of them. And I wonder if that might be an interesting, mm. I don't know. I wonder if there will be new genres that will start to, to pop up as we start to see more of that. Like today, I think... I mean, I'm also... Go ahead. Sorry. Go okay. Well, no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> well, I just like today, I think there's this profusion of reality TV, right? In different forms. There's reality TV for baking and reality TV for, you know, obviously for dating and like, you know, a hundred other different forms. I wonder yeah. if we'll start to, and why is that? I mean, it's, it's cheap. It's unscripted. You get to, people like to see people like them. Like it has all these ways that it resonates with people. But I wonder if we might start to see that kind of art form, particularly being like elevated in a certain way because it's able to um, you're able to offload some of the the burden of the entertainment to the technology and that's being fully carried by the the people themselves. Oh, that's a very interesting thought. Huh. I wonder if that's a million dollar idea. <laughs> AI generated reality show. AI supported or something, yeah. Um <laughs> No, that sounds like such an incredible idea. We should totally sell it to Netflix. <laughs> we should be like, we originally came up with this thing and you should totally do this. <laughs> Don't you have some, some contacts in Netflix India? Maybe we can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really entertaining though. Yeah. I am. I'm also pretty interested by this music one. I'm like curious why more people are not out there because I feel like you also have good uh, because there's rankings, right? There's Billboard rankings and there's like purchase data and there's uh, you know listen data. You would be able to actually get feedback into the model, which doesn't always exist. But you wouldn't. But you wouldn't be able to use most of the music that is out there, right? Like popular music and all, you wouldn't be able to use for training your model. Why not? Doesn't it all leave copyright after like fifty years or ninety nine years? It's like one of the... Yeah, but like, there was no music at that time. <laughs> I mean, there was. Like, there was no recording. <laughs> there was no recording. It's 2023. Right? There was music in the 1970s. <laughs> no, 100 years, right? 1923. I would have to look. I really, I'm not sure if it's 100 years. It might be. A, it is 100 Is it really 100 years? years? Okay, okay. It is 100 okay, years. Well, the 20s still had music, but yeah, that was a big band. And I don't know what was happening in all parts of the world. Um, yeah. Like, most of the times, like, they had music, but there weren't recordings which lasted till now, first of all. And second, like, even if you have open source music, there are a lot of places where they do have open source music. Like, I think the volume that these models need is insane. Mm. Which is also super interesting. So, I was watching this video about this person who tried to train an AI model to recognize faces. Okay. And um, to recognize K-pop idols. Okay. Specifically. And the interesting thing is that most of these models are based off of white people faces. Got it. And so even despite her trying to train it, the model just would not wow. recognize the people. Like it just kept calling everyone the same person. Wow. That is so interesting. So, like, as we go into, you know, um, GPT-generated text or we go into DALI-generated artworks, what kind of stuff 
like whose jobs get replaced and whose culture gets replaced yeah because like i know the dali one i was reading about how um if you type like a beautiful woman it tends to show an unclothed woman because that's how western media portrays women on the internet oh wow <laughs> is that crazy <laughs> Oh, wow. And it's like, you don't want to train on the internet, but you do have to train on the internet because the internet is the best data source to train from, but then the internet is very biased in certain ways. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow, that is insane. Yeah. So I think, I think like, because of stuff like that is showing up so early on, I feel like it will push us to be at least from like like wiping out kind of like creating a general internet culture, I feel like that is less likely to happen because people are already starting to see these issues with the training sets. Hmm. I don't know. Speculating. Very true. And I mean, I would assume that most of my friends who are from like Southeast Asian or South Asian countries, there is there used to be like, especially when you were younger, there used to be this glorification of american pop culture yeah like american music is the best and american movies are the best and american shows are the best but like if i see just the general internet culture these days it's not so much like western like glorification of the west there is some elements of west which are there but like there are other elements where because of the abundance of content online and because of the abundance of just access yeah people are able to just say, no, I want my voice and I want representation. Like, it, it, it's just interesting to, I don't know how we arrived here, but like the way you said it, it just made me think about all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think I sent you a voice note a few, a week or so ago, but I, I had this kind of interesting notion. Um, I wonder if like, because we generate so much content in our lives, right? Like I'll probably have taken, I think, 30,000 photos mm. at this point in my life. So probably by the time I die, it will be, I don't know, 200,000 photos, right? And I was just thinking about mm. like, I wonder if there could be like a nonprofit or something that people could donate their digital content to that could be trying to create less biased training sets. Because I think part of what you're saying is true, right? Like people, this stuff isn't copyright, certain stuff is in the public domain and there are biases that exist because of that. But like I have a very close mm. friend, um, Shweta, who, who we started a couple of companies together and she and I have talked a lot about how she, she grew up in this part of Bangalore called Malayshwaram and Malayshwaram has all these old stories that are just mostly captured in people, right? People know the stories of those areas, but there are photos, there are places, whatnot. But there's no hmm. real, like, she was like, I would love to, like, create a place that could be a repository for these stories or a repository for this content and data. I think that even just trying to create the places that could be, like, like repositories, even if we don't know what to curate from them yet, I'm very confident our abilities to curate are going to get keep getting better and better with these technologies. But I feel like we're starting, hmm. we don't necessarily, we haven't, we haven't put enough focus in saying, what is the source data going to be? What's the trading data going to be? And, you know, how can hmm. we, there's certain places where I think like people still have to add value. Um, and I think like stuff like Malaysia, like stuff, like this example of Malaysia, of creating stories around local areas. Um, it's hard today because it, that kind of data that it's getting lost in, I think the like, there's so much content out there. What content actually hmm. relates to this specific place can we can we create something that is from this kind of place or style? Interesting. This is also making me think of like as you were talking about curation, right? Especially of 
the stories and local stuff it's like it's almost like art direction and curation and bringing taste into the picture becomes the role of the human element and the technology like does the rest of the work almost that's really what am i trying to convey and why am i trying to convey it are the questions that the human needs to answer and then the generation ends up being on the shoulders of the ai interesting that kind of reminds me about how um you, know, you and i were talking to to um uh, one of my friends who's a conservator a couple of weeks ago yeah. and uh it was interesting to hear about how how exhibits happen in museums uh, it it does seem like it's basically like there's one curator or someone who kind of has a has a very controlling ability and they have a vision for it and there's a lot of people who execute their vision right there's a lot of people like whose job it is to run around and you know make this floor very into true. that um, yeah, so it's not that different today, right? Like, like you know, maybe the AI would replace all of those, like, you know, 10 people whose job it is to take that curator's vision and, and uh, execute it in reality. It's also interesting to, like, as you said that, I was also thinking, it's interesting to think about when humans say, oh, the jobs are going to go to the robots. But, like, is that the kind of job that you want to be doing? Correct. Uh, so my brother, sister, and I, we were talking about um, some of these stuff recently, like AI-generated art, AI-generated code. And because we are artists or developers, where does that leave us in some ways, right? Like people around us are having those conversations. And it's like, if somebody could replace a part of my job, please replace it. Because <laughs> if it's replaceable, then it's okay. Just replace it. I would rather do the stuff that is irreplaceable. But I don't know if that's coming from like a position of extreme privilege in some sense or not. I think a lot of things get standardized over time, hmm. right? And as they get standardized, I don't know whether to say it's like the fun goes out of it or the art goes out of it. But but like, for example, hmm. like there was a time um, that I kind of enjoyed writing Facebook ads, right? And it was about... Uh, I guess maybe like seven, eight years ago. And it was just like, it was fun, right? Because you could kind of like think about it. There was like, there was a lot more just like, I don't know, I would say kind of like art to it, right? But now, hmm. now it's like, what you should do is you should be just like creating, like, so you have a certain set of images, you have a certain set of copy and you create all the iterations of them, right? See which ones work. And then you, and then once you know, like what is the kind of direction for the imagery, then you try another set of five images with the copy, right? And you keep just winning and, and steadily iterating in a way that's right for your audience. Um, that's just not as fun. Right? <laughs> like it's a different kind yeah. of skill set. It's a different, it's much more of like, like I have a good friend who I play games with and we play this game called Stellaris and he loves to call it uh, that it's a spreadsheet game, right? What is it doing? It's a fancy UI for spreadsheets. You're just moving stuff around in spreadsheets. <laughs> um, so I think jobs that are spreadsheet jobs, right, are just not that fun at some point. Um, and nothing wrong with accountants, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. It's also very interesting to think about like as people move into this direction, as the culture moves into that direction, how do people perceive their job, right? Like, do we want to be doing repetitive stuff? Do we want to be like developing skills which are just repetitive stuff? I think I've met some people during my, so far in my career, especially when I was running the company in India, 
that they kind of wanted you to tell them what to do, you know? Um, and I think maybe it was like that they didn't have the mind space available for, for work right then. You know, maybe they had a lot of things going on in their personal life. Maybe they were trying to do something else with their life and this job was kind of just like a way to make ends meet. Um, but it was, it's an interesting thing because I, I interpreted that and the way I kind of internalized that was I was like, hey, okay, Karen, you have the ability to kind of create opportunity for people that will give them a sense of purpose. Like what higher calling can there be to that or than that, right? Like that hmm. you're being able to kind of create something that will tell people what to do, who want to, right? Who will tell people what to do uh, in a way that is, hmm. you know, at least to the best of your abilities, like useful for, for them, for society, for whatever, right? It's helping the greater good. Um I don't know. So I, I'm kind of curious of your thoughts. Like if you feel like there will be, and I think uh, as we kind of started talking about something Seth Godin talks about in his, in his book, Lynchpins, he's like saying you can either be a person that people are telling you what to do, or you can be a person who's just be a genius at something. He loves to use the, that word kind of genius a lot. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of, a, yeah, like you're saying, it's an interesting place. I think it's an interesting place even as you, as we kind of think about as entrepreneurs and as we're starting a company, like what will success look like and what does, um, what are the kind of interim successes? And should we like, think about creating that kind of work or, or looking at uh, places where we've created repetitive work and say, hey, you know, is that a success for our business or is that is that not a success because we're creating jobs that mm. are not good jobs or jobs that we think of as not being good jobs? Oh, I just had this thought. So industrialization made repetitive work happen. Correct, yeah. Right? Like, because industries needed repetitive work. Yeah. And it's almost like, I don't know how right this is because, like, my brain just connected those dots right now. And it's almost like now in the world of extreme personalization, we don't want repetitiveness. So we are almost fighting against that. I guess, like, there's, like, a tidal wave coming from one side and crashing into what existed long before yeah you're exactly right. and it's like people like from childhood people expect to do a certain kind of work and that's why they are like you know sent to school and everybody's given the same education because they want to be doing the same work but like most of my friends who graduated from college are not doing the kind of jobs that they thought that they would be doing when they graduated 10 years ago like Many of these jobs didn't exist. Most, like many of them have constructed their own jobs. What I am doing did not exist in the way that I am doing it 10 years ago. Definitely not in India. What my brother is doing definitely didn't exist. My sister is making something on VR. VR was not a thing. <laughs> like, it's so interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I think an interesting point that maybe we can talk about in a future week is how the education system is. I, I think part of the reason why so many people have failed, so many startups are failing in, in going after ed tech and, and, and changing the education space. My dad is very deep into the education space and he's very fond of saying that if you put a teacher from 150 years ago into a classroom of today, they would have literally no problem. But if you put a doctor from 150 years ago or any other kind of, right, they would have no idea what they were yeah. doing. <laughs> but a teacher, it's like, it's still, yeah. maybe it's a black, it's a whiteboard instead of a blackboard, right? But like, um, and I think it's because of what you were just saying. It's because the system, there's, society is is looking to reward people for individuality and for, for kind of like shining in their bright person personhood or whatever. And 
our schooling is not about that. Our schooling is about trying to make people standardized. And I think part of why there's such a discrepancy and why we're struggling so much in, in trying to solve this problem is because it's not actually solving education the way it's needed. It's like solving like preparation for life, but education yeah. is not really doing that right now. It's like doing things that are orthogonal, but kind of related. Very true. We can talk about it in a future week. Oh, <laughs> we should definitely talk about this next week. This is such an interesting, I feel like, this is the first time when we have arrived at another concrete <laughs> topic from our topic. I love it. I love it too. Awesome. This is a good talk. Then we should continue. Yeah, yeah this was awesome. Okay, we should talk about it next we'll week. We'll talk about it next week. Okay, yeah. bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking on Thinking. Our theme music is by Steve Combs and you can find a link to it in the show notes.